Upstream with Jim and John, father and son conversations about discipleship and culture in the Pacific Northwest. I'm John. And I'm Jim. Merry Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> Merry Christmas week, at least. Uh, it's Christmas week, and we are happy to be with you. I'm going to confess right now that I had planned on us doing a lighthearted Christmas episode, and uh, nope, I got ticked off this week. <laughs> <laughs> and I've been mad. I've been mad for a long time about the state of the union. Oh. Uh, and so I'm going to get on a soapbox today and talk about how to be an American. How to be an American. How to be an American, a good American, a wise American. Um, I'm mad. What's I, the deal with the soapbox? What is that? A soap, that's where they I know the metaphor, but what's the, you have the history of it? Uh, no, just that people would stand on these soap boxes to give speeches out in public. Boxes that soap would come in? Yeah, wood crates. And, and so they dump said, the soap out. So now you're going to get on your soapbox and tell us all about it. I've heard, you know, I just didn't know. The, I, didn't, I didn't know what a soapbox Maybe it was the depression. Is. I don't know. I'd have to look this up, but I didn't know I was going to be put on the spot about it. But, <laughs> uh, so anyway, today we're going to talk about, uh, I had an experience um, that, that upset me and... Uh, caused a flurry of things I've been thinking about to align themselves with clarity. And I decided I must, I must do this. So, um, I'll give some disclaimers and, and frame it here in a minute. Sure. But first, John, let's just have a, a moment of a joke or a story. It's your turn. <laughs> uh, story as you could have guessed. <laughs> um, I had a, a not, so that there's repressed memories, which are traumatic and evil. That's not mm. what this is. This is just one I totally forgot about. <laughs> this is a goofy one. So, uh, and it's the story of a different time I forgot a memory. That's oh. kind of a, you got a little Inception it's, it's, thing going on. <laughs> so Jonathan's Inception story yeah. about memories, not dreams. <laughs> so, um, I went to, or, uh, or, or did you? I did. I did. I promise. <laughs> I went to a public elementary school from grades, uh, Kindergarten to third grade, but in the kindergarten was Montana. So I went to the same elementary school in Denver and Highlands Ranch from uh, first to third grade. And then I went to a charter school that was uh, four through eight. And I was there for that whole run. And so I only have a handful of memories from this uh, uh, Eagle Ridge is the name of the the elementary school I went to from first to third. And they're surprisingly poignant. And I forget names constantly from high school. From really high school on, all the names are forfeit. But uh, Eagle Ridge in elementary, I remember all these kids' names. That's amazing. Kids I haven't seen since I was in third grade. I know their names. Wow. Really, really weird. I think it's just something about how it imprints on you. Or... And you were like the student body giant in third grade. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I remember being almost as tall as my first grade teacher. I was going to was... say, only the teacher was taller than you, and only then by a little. When she was especially small. So that one <laughs> almost doesn't count. But uh, So this is a story from then. And uh, they had dances, you know, in the third grade. And yeah, yeah, they were social. Wow, you went to one. I, I, I've forgotten. Yeah, you took you took me and Bethany to one. I don't yeah. have any. I don't have any <laughs> memories inside my memories. That's okay. <laughs> I barely have any either. But they had dances, and uh, you know, so just social fun dances. Yeah. Uh, but because I, you know, had been exposed to a lot of television, and so had everyone else in my class, we, the, we were asking people out to the dance. 
Oh, nice. Like, yeah. like, will you go to the dance? Will you with go me? to the dance with me? Exactly. Wow. So uh, there's this girl. This my... is what's wrong with the world, right here. Is it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this cannot be good for human sexuality. Well, it taught me social skills. Uh, something. It taught. I mean, it tried to teach me social <laughs> skills. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, there's this girl in my class, and name was Melody. And I remember, they remember Melody. Who, who the heck knows Was she why? your first pitter-patter, heart go fast? No, uh, that would have been, what was her name? Corinne was her name. <laughs> yeah. There's actually three at American Academy, if you can believe it. Three pitter-patter chickadees. Yeah, I guess I had some focus problems. Huh? <laughs> I just like any shiny thing that well, walked by me. Was, yeah, because you weren't going to talk to any of them, so no, it didn't matter how many I did. I, I talked to this one. Okay, Melody. Melody. And so I woke up the courage during gym class where, you know, playing with beanbags or something. I don't remember. Some stupid <laughs> third-grade gym thing. And it, this is a, I don't remember what grade this was because it could have been first through third. So mm-hmm. somewhere in there, but probably close to third. I can't imagine you asking somebody to a dance in the first grade. Probably not. No. I can't imagine doing it in the third grade either. But Me there, either, but but there we are. that's a better shot. So in gym class, we're playing beanbags or whatever. And so I walk over to Melody Station and, you know, stomach in my throat. And I say, will you go to the dance with me? <laughs> and she says, uh, I can't. I'm already going with Andrew. This other guy named Andrew. I remember his name, too. Oh, really? believe it. And he was this uh, redheaded kid. And I was like, oh, Andrew. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, that's all right. So I go back to my station. And uh, anyway, fast forward, oh, man, nine years, maybe. So to the 12th grade here. Uh, no, to, to still in Colorado. So so eight years, seven or eight years then. I was in eighth grade, probably, okay. or thereabouts. Yeah, so probably five years. You're probably right. I'm being dramatic. But <laughs> yes, it, it feels like a lifetime <laughs> apart. Well, I know that from the third grade to the eighth grade is five years, unless you do well, it a few times. Tell that to my to my spiritual memory. <laughs> so then we lived across from this park. And uh, one of the cool things about being in a suburb as big as that one was, I really was neighbors with about everybody I went to school with, yeah. you know, in that in that school district, because it was such a, it was just a massive neighborhood. And so I'm in the park with... One of the Vernazes, one of my friends that I met through church, they didn't go to any of my schools, yeah. but uh, I was hanging out with them, walking through the park, and this girl calls me from across the way, like like from a long ways away. And she does it in front of a friend. This is even better. Well, she has a friend, too. Oh, okay. A so, girl? Yeah, yeah. And so she calls, and I wait up, and she comes over, and she says, did you go to Eagle Ridge? I said, yeah. And she says, I think you asked me out to a dance one time. And not, I wasn't put up a front. I had no memory of this. I'm just like, I, I don't know what that is you're talking about. Like, I don't right, know. I don't right. know who you are. Yeah. And I was nicer than that. But that was the truth of it. I was, right. it was like, you know, uh, yeah, it was just bizarre. So I was like, well, that was weird. Go home, sit in front of the TV with one of the Renazes, and I smack myself in the head. I'm like, that was Melody. Melody. And uh, at the time, you know, single eighth grader, I was like, I missed my shot. <laughs> Could have had some kind of some kind of what that would have been the greatest love story ever told. Yeah, right. Did it? Did what? Was she pretty enough where uh, your friend was impressed that this pretty girl remembered you and that that you had asked her on a, to the we, dance? We didn't affirm each other that way. If he was, he didn't tell me. But oh, okay. uh, and to be honest, I don't remember what she even looked like. I think I, I think I didn't really even look you at her. You kind of shut much. down. Yeah, yeah I was, I was yeah. like, I glanced. I was like, oh no, you know, like when you get approached by like a homeless person. Like, right. No, no, no yeah. thank you. No, thank you. Yeah, I'm in the neighborhood encouraging Bible reading. <laughs> right. <laughs> didn't you take me to a dance once? <laughs> <laughs> so I feel at the time it was a it was a core regret of mine in eighth grade uh, that, that, I, so that I that I had not remembered this in time. In core, the eighth grade. Yeah. that's that's something. So uh, I'll tell another mini story just because I'm, while I'm thinking about it. The, the other crush was, uh, her name was Julia. 
And that was one where you tell your buddy about it, right? And then in the hallway, so we're all lining up to go to class. This one was earlier. So this was first or second grade, probably second grade. And so I told my buddy that I had the crush on this girl named Julia. And he just shouts in the middle of the hallway. We're all lined up to go into class. He just shouts it. And I was like, well, that's it. I hate you now. We're done. <laughs> done forever. And nothing ever came of that. Never talked to Julia. I probably never had one sentence shared with Julia. Wow. Second grade. So if something happened. That's but, the best kind of crush. Yeah. You don't want to ruin it by actually talking to no, them. No, don't meet your heroes. No. So I became a man between second and third grade somehow. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how that happened. But uh, anyway, those just. That's pretty wonderful. Uh, it was cracking me up earlier when I remembered those. And so again, not repressed memories, but just things I'd forgotten that had happened. Well, and there's your Christmas treat. These fun little uh, third grade Jonathan memories. Yeah. And along with an eighth grade memory. Well, hey, let's get. Let's, I got to get back in my mad attitude. You're so, right. I, I shouldn't have. I shouldn't have cooled you off so uh, much. That was that was awesome. Okay, so um, Jonathan, I, I just want to give a little preface here. So, first of all, these opinions are mine. Mm-hmm. Uh, I am a pastor, but these are not the church's opinions. I would not stand up at church and probably have this conversation. I'm, I feel free to do it on this podcast because this is you and me, John, doing what we do. Yeah, they doing our thing. We we do we do what we do. <laughs> sure. Uh, so <clears throat> this is not this does not represent the church I pastor, and this is my opinion. And these I've got six of them. Oh, and uh, so for the listener, Jonathan has not been prepped on this conversation, except mm. to know that I'm I want to get on my soapbox and and vent about a few things. These are actually good things, so um, they just have a lot of emotion in me. Gotcha. So here's how it all went down. I'm driving uh, this morning, and I'm passing this truck on the freeway, small pickup truck, and uh, it's got two flags flying in the back. One of them's the American flag. These are big flags poked down in the hole of the bed of the truck, you know? Yeah. Those? But like full size, like oh, flying yeah. way, yeah. Know, trailing far And behind. the second big one, I'm assuming, is going to be a Trump flag because it's blue with the red trim. Sure. But instead it says, F Joe Biden. A full-on, full the curse full word. full-on cuss word, yeah. In the middle of the driving through public yeah. areas, okay. Yeah. And I was like, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> I was so mad. I waited till I, I took my exit, made a couple turns, and I pulled off into a cemetery where I could concentrate, because I started having this is, flood. Is this the one by Tomorrow Falls? Yeah, there? yeah. Yeah. I started having this flood of uh, principles mm. that I think are helpful for us. And I haven't been talking about this. Frankly, during the last two years, I've gotten lots of pressure uh, to make politics or uh, social justice or whatever center stage vaccines masks sure to make all that center stage for the church and i won't do it only jesus gets center stage uh so this is my first time i've got some pent-up um you know frustration because like all americans i have frustrations and years have been have gone unvented for two years gone unvented yeah so here we go uh these are my six i have six things to say and you can push back and they're going to go quick it's not this is going to be not a long episode is this is this to a person or a group of people, or is this just... I'm shouting it to the world. Gotcha, okay. I'm okay. shouting this to the world. So that that an honest driver, he it's did like not a, see, You're not sitting him down and talking to him about it. Oh, no. You're just talking to... But I do think I do think this is helpful for everyone to process 
the the state that we're in. Sure. Um, it's kind of like that movie. I don't even remember what the movie was, but the newscaster told everybody to open their windows, stick their head out, and yell, I'm mad as hell, and I don't care who knows about it. And uh, so people <laughs> all over the city were opening their windows and shouting outside. That's what I feel like right now. I'm not familiar with that movie. <clears throat> I don't remember what it was, but it was a classic. Hmm. Must have been. The first thing I want to say is that uh, people are giving way too much credence to the power and capacity of one man, i.e. the President of the United States. Mm. So the very fact that people get so hooked up and wrapped up and angry about who's in the White House is already idiocy. Here's what I mean. We've had some great presidents and we've had some losers. No president has been able to ruin this country. Mm. You could argue that a president is capable of saving the country, i.e. Abraham Lincoln, probably uh, providentially saved us as a nation. But you cannot make the case that a president can ruin this country uh, because the president has limited powers. We have three branches of government. There's only a certain number of things the president can do. And there's been studies on this that, like, uh, if you take the range of options on any topic from one extreme to the other, there's really a click in the middle of three to six clicks. And any president is going to operate within those three to six clicks because of the boundaries um, the, the, just the built in stuff. So sure. Uh, man, relax, take a deep breath. If you hate Joe Biden, he's not going to ruin this country. <laughs> if you hate Donald Trump, he didn't ruin this country. A president cannot ruin the country. Take a breath. It's one guy. You're giving way too much weight, way too much emotional energy, way too much reaction or argument or passion or division or hatred about one dude who has a very limited capacity on what he can or cannot do. Totally. I'm with you on, on, on the first no is pushback. The eight tenets of Jim Ladd, <laughs> some, some kind of cultish. There's thing. only six. Only six. Yeah. My only thing is you would think if someone could take the credit for a victory, they should take the credit of the defeat. I agree with you on the principle as far as the limited power of the president, but I'm, I'm interested on that distinction you said between they could have credit for saving the country. Well, you could argue there have been presidents that have greatly advanced us. I mean, you know, the New Deal, mm-hmm. um, inventing Social Security. <clears throat> there have been some monumental things that have occurred. Abraham Lincoln clearly getting us through the Civil War. So I'm saying I don't even think you could make the case that one saved the country. But I would I would more entertain that argument than, than the, the argument that one could ruin it. Gotcha. Gotcha. So uh, one guy cannot ruin the country. Yeah. I'm okay. With you. The second one actually is one I learned from you, John. Oh, wow. And that is that the extreme event um, in your imagination is rarely the one that actually happens. So mm. calm the heck down. <laughs> uh, it's like everybody's terrified of the extreme uh, potential. Yeah. So uh, those who are anti-vaxxers, oh, it's all there's they're putting microchips in us and they're, you know, they have these extreme ideas. The extreme thing almost never happens. It's not never. It's just almost never. Yeah. Man, there's just so many ways you could go with this. But the big deal is to just calm down. Okay? One guy can't ruin the country and calm down because the most radical idea possible is rarely the one that actually plays out. Yeah, I wonder how much it's it's funny. What first comes to my mind with that is uh, entertainment. I wonder how people viewed the world before 
you know, in before the printing press, before like any amount of fiction or even printed material was yeah. available. Yeah. Because then you still had like you had higher uh, instances of like people believe in mythology and you right, know, right, all kinds of things like that. So I wonder if the, people were more level headed or if it's actually just as bad because there was no nobody tell you to tell you that any one of these was true or not. Well, and that speaks to my third thing, that a free press is essential to American uh, vi- vibrancy and health hmm. and not a not for profit press. Sure. But a free press mean meaning not controlled. And so when the press um, is controlled by its uh, revenue streams, advertising was what it used to be. Now it's controlled differently. Ratings, whatever. Um, when that that's uh, that's terrible for us. So we need a free we need a free press because without a free press, you will not have free speech. Mm. So what happens? So the way this affects us now is that we have a controlled press, and it's it's guided by a uh, something other than the principle that people should be informed. Sure. And so uh, what you and I can do about this is stop getting all of our news from a very narrow funnel that is that is controlled and manipulated by a certain revenue stream or a certain political agenda. Stop being wooed and moved and informed by a non-free news source. Totally. Um, And do you so you mean just reading from a bunch of different places or do you have a few in mind that you go to? Uh, I think I think vari- I think variety is best. If you're going to look at one that's uh, that is um, agended, then look at the opposite agenda and read the same story on both of them. Gotcha. Uh, you know, you've got to find a way to have access to information. It's bizarre to me that in a world where information can be readily available to on a you know in a nanosecond, that we have such a difficult time finding legitimately true, unbiased information. Yeah. But it's essential to us. We we got to care about this. We've got to demand this. Uh, if newspapers and journalism needs to be funded by, uh, you know, as nonprofits or something, we've got to find our way back to a an uncontrolled, unpoliticized, unagended press where we get the news, where we get the real information without bias or agenda. Well, obviously, I'm all about that one. I it's when you think about what. Uh, what is killing journalism? I, I think less of well, one. It's what they call the ad apocalypse. Have you heard of this? No. It's an all uh, uh, ad revenue based businesses. They've called it the ad apocalypse. It's just the cheapening of ads. So a single ad in all forms on YouTube pops up, pops up on the side of Amazon, right? Uh, pops up on when you're on a news website. All of it in print on a, on a newspaper or magazine. All of it is worth less than it used to be. So they're just hemorrhaging cash because yeah. ads are decreasing in value. Uh, and the uh, emergence of social media. So if they wanted to make money before, they had a full monopoly on news, they meaning news media, right. had a monopoly on how news gets told. And now it's as if every single person had their own soapbox. Yep. You know, how do you compete with every singer? Every singer is now a recording artist. Yeah. It's like that. Yeah. So that one that one is especially uh, especially close to me. It's hard to solve, but it must be solved, and 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 it's killing us not having um, access to to free press. And this was a founding father principle that they fought hard for. This is where the First Amendment came from: is that you would never allow the government to control what is said. 
And that wasn't about I'm being able to talk about uh, rednecks or skinheads or whatever. It's not about protecting those idiots. It's about ensuring that the government doesn't stop the communication of truth. Well, but the problem is that the government has not stopped the communication of truth. The we we have. The I culture know. Has. I, I I get it. I'm just saying it's a value that's that's as old as our country, and it should yeah. be returned. Yeah. Uh, the next one is that is that Christians uh, really must remain politically homeless. Mm. I found a scriptural guide for Christians and politics. I don't, uh, this is Proverbs chapter four. I was reading this in our discipleship group, you know, for our assigned reading one day. And I thought, well, this is it. This is, this is crystal clear biblical guidance for American Christians. I'm, I'm, I have bated breath. Okay. My son, pay attention to what I say. Turn your ear to my words. Do not let them out of your sight. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them and health to one's whole body. So this is where you fix your attention. God, fix your attention on his word. Fix your attention on his truth. Um, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Keep your mouth free from perversity. Uh, Okay, then look, verse 25. Let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your eyes, your gaze directly before you. Give careful thought to the paths for your feet and be steadfast in all your ways. Here it is. Do not turn to the right or to the left. Keep your foot from evil. So here's the Mm. thing. Christians cannot be uh, partisans. Sure. You just can't because uh, every political party has an anti-Christ component to it. Mm. And so what do we do? We don't represent Republicans or Democrats or conservative or liberals. We represent Christ. We follow Jesus. And so... Um, we can't even admit we're so partisan in our thinking, many of us, that we can never admit that the other party did a good thing or had a good idea or has a great thought. <laughs> sure. That's, you can't do that. It's against the rules. Right. It's wrong. For me, it's, it's even less about the, you know, we, we talked weeks ago now about punching up versus punching down, right? So if you're punching up at the entire democratic, uh, or, uh, Democrat party, yep. um, that is less offensive to me than saying everyone who prescribes that belief. I know, I know you and let me tell you about you. Uh, I, yeah, just, I've seen a lot of this to me. It's like watching people be brainwashed where they said, well, you know, the thing Democrats don't uh, think very deeply. Like, you know, yeah. Or actually I heard it the opposite. I heard Democrats uh, that I know saying, well, with things Republicans, they don't think as deeply as Democrats. And it's like, yeah, every single one, huh? Yeah, every it's, single it's one. It's amazing, and and everybody does. Every both sides make these kinds of ridiculous statements, right? And that's the uh, you know dehumanization we've talked about. And to me, it's like you've been brainwashed into this big game. You know, you're you're basically treated like a sports game, and you're saying the thing about the Rams, they don't think very hard, and it's like <laughs> that's not <laughs> that's not how that works. There's, yeah, that's those people in helmets, yeah, you know? and who are actually professionals at what they're doing. They've right. trained hard for it. They're educated. They've been well equipped. Uh, they're not idiots, right? And but but you can't see people for people when you're that deep in whatever you know that game is, right? Yeah. Okay, I have two more. Okay. One is a question: Can a non-narcissist ever be elected? Mm. I was thinking about this principle that you know uh, it it was designed that the common man would be in Congress, and so uh, there's an old black and white film: Mr. Smith goes to Washington. The idea was that a farmer would leave his farm to go serve his state as a state representative or a or a congressman, 
Wow. For a term and then come home and go back to the go back to work. Sure. And it was never designed to be a career for your lifetime and to be a professional politician. And one of the problems is we have uh, good people are refusing to run for office because of what they put you through. Mm. And we have these career um, politicians who make decisions not based on the people they serve because they've forgotten them. They don't, they don't live in any kind of world that relates to theirs. Yeah. And instead they're, they're, they're making decisions based on guaranteeing their political survival. Right. It's, it's broke big time broke. So I'm sitting there thinking about all this. And by the end of this thing in my head at this graveyard, sitting there writing these down, I thought that's it. I'm running for governor. (laughs) And, uh, I know. I, I thought I'm going to run for governor and I'm not going to run for Congress because because if you're a state representative in this state, it, you have you, you have you, you serve no real purpose because the governor is operating under emergency powers for two solid years. I mean, it's not like and not it's not like our state legislature plays as big a role as it should be playing. Hmm. So if you're going to make a difference, you got to go straight to the to the to the palace you got to go to buckingham palace right here at the capitol <laughs> and become the governor because that's the only way you can then return the power to the legislature and return the power to the people so mm. i'm going for governor well then i start thinking about all the dumb things i've said while i was preaching to evergreen and how <laughs> there would just be those things on a loop trying to destroy me yeah. as a as a politician you know i like big butts and i cannot lie you know talking about the word but but yeah. that would be misused and put out you know when you act like that one's crept out once or twice that's that's a, a mainstay in your uh in your toolbox the point is i would be attacked and slaughtered uh but that's that's who should be governor that's who should be uh congressmen and legislators is the common guy who cares about his state who cares about his region who cares about his country but has no intention of being a career politician yeah there's uh, in the movie adaptation of Harrison Bergeron, which is a Kurt Vonnegut short story, but the movie version stars uh, um, Sean Astin, who played uh, Samwise in the Lord of the Rings movies. Oh, yeah. Okay. As Harrison Bergeron. Anyway, in the, the movie adaptation, they have uh, a lottery system for the president. So there's this Texan uh, in the, the White House because he got there because they pulled his number. So he's just he's the president for a term, <laughs> and uh, and he's cussing out you know Gorbachev or something, and he he's de- he's like threatening nu- nuclear war on right, half right. the half the planet, and uh, in that short story or that that movie, there's actually like a secret government that doesn't let him do whatever right. he wants. But, he's just a puppet. He's a he's a face, right? But uh, randomly elected officials could be interesting. Idea. Interesting, yeah, it could work. Yeah, it'd be terrible. Somebody, <laughs> yeah. Okay, my, if I haven't made you mad yet, I'll make you possibly mad with the, my last one. Oh, number six. Yeah. that The United States is not better than other countries. Mm. Uh, we are not God's favorite. Yeah. Can you imagine uh, if every country on earth thought they were God's favorite country? Uh, we're not God's favorite country. We have a great system. I love our political system. I think it is, in my opinion, the best one in the world. And there, but the the deal is, there are not good and bad countries. There are great systems and terrible systems. Mm-hmm. And among leaders, rulers, governors, presidents, kings, dictators, there are wise or foolish or evil. But there are not. There's not good countries and bad countries. Sure, there's just good and bad and evil people. Mm. And so, uh, 
I think a part of this is a humility for us to embrace. We are like every other country on earth trying to figure this out and stop with this arrogance that makes us, I don't know, miss the point. Is this, am I making any sense with this? Yeah, no, this one's, this is a big one. This is, uh, I think um, there's, you talk about the system, there's well or uh, wise systems and foolish systems. So we would call a wise system like ours. It's only wise because it takes into account things that we understand is true through scripture. It takes mm-hmm. into account the folly, the of, depravity of man, of man. Yeah. Uh, how much uh, power corrupts, how much money corrupts. It takes it into account all these things. And so systems that uh, disregard those truths are foolish. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'm with you on that. And, uh, and it is maybe, I'm assuming in other countries, it's tr- <laughs> it's tricky. I know in uh, countries like Germany, uh, being a patriot is not a good thing because they because they have such a such a very recent violent terrible past. Right. Where being you know very much uh, a proud German, you know they've had they've had to uh, uh, purposefully move away from those kinds of things, and it's it's taken away things like their free speech. You know, like uh, uh, games made in America where you fight Nazis and there's swastikas in the game. Oh, yeah. In Germany, they censor all those. They become just like the Iron Cross or something. Because they, oh, can't, they really? can't, there's no swastikas in Germany. So it's interesting. Uh, I'm not saying there should be swastikas in Germany. I'm just saying that it, change, <laughs> it changes the game <laughs> it when does. your right, history is right. like that. So uh, I think we're an especially patriotic country, but uh, it's not uncommon, you know, for people in those countries to think they're the best. I think our country's relationship with the Christian faith makes it especially um, yucky as we come to mind that that entanglement between, you know, uh, uh, with our history of even uh, Zionism and, mm-hmm. you know, uh, what's that term? Uh, manifest destiny. Right. You know, things like that is where it becomes the identities get too close together to really safely detangle or easily detangle in a country instead like, you know, uh, I don't know, Turkey is only comes to mind where it's like primarily Muslim anyways. And it's been around for so many hundreds of years that it's, you know, it's hard to even. Yeah. And just yeah. like we uh, dehumanize a person to hate them or dehumanize them to infatu- be infatuated with them. Yeah. That is what we do with whole nations. Yeah. We dehumanize a nation to hate it or to say it's a bad one. And the reality is the, that you, any nation on earth could become great if it had, good systems, wisdom, um, people with integrity at the helm. I just think that that humility and that, that awareness, I like, I think Haiti is a country I've thought lots and lots and lots about. I've been Mm -hmm. there, I think six times. Um, it's a complexity to me. It, to me, it's a, it's a demonstration of the complexities of poverty. Sure. Because especially even if you just go since the earthquake, uh, the the billions with a B of dollars that have been pumped over there, and yet there's no distinguishable difference, hardly none. Um, they still don't have a national uh, sewage system. They don't have a national water supply. They don't have a national uh, trash system. Uh, you, you mean the earthquake in 2013, yeah, 12? Yeah. There's been, an, a, since then, another huge one. Right, but I'm talking about that, that one. That was yeah. the one that, yeah. that was the most dis- destructive. Right. Um. And so I sit here and say, Haiti could become a great country. You think of the Philippines, you know, Sue grew up there. Uh, the Philippines, all the wealth of the Philippines is in the pockets of about 3,000 Filipinos. Wow. And so when you talk about a country of millions and millions of people, 3,000 of them hold 80% of the nation's wealth, um, that that creates problems with um, how things are done and who has power and blah, 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 blah. 
So uh, these are the problems that make a nation great or bad, and we're on the precipice of becoming a really bad country because of some of the things that I've talked about. Sure. I still would rather not, I would rather, I would not rather live in any country on earth than this one. I'm, I thank God that I'm an American. I can sing a song, you know, whatever. Uh, I'm, I'm, I love this country and that's why I'm so mad. I'm also mad because Christians are missing the opportunity to demonstrate the character of Jesus and the heart of Jesus in the middle of such incredible disruption and instead of demonstrating that heart for Jesus and that character and person of Jesus and the rootedness that we could be and the calm that we could be, sure. the healing and the love that we could be, instead we're just getting sucked right into the madness. And so I'm begging people of God, stop the madness. Stop thinking that one guy in the White House can change everything or make it great or make it terrible. Stop thinking that this is the greatest country on earth and it's God's favorite. Stop thinking that um, my whole list. I'm just mad. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm also passionate and I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful because I do believe that God is awakening his people to a return to the simplicity of Christ, the simplicity of Christian community, the call to be a creative minority in the culture because we are, in fact, a minority. We finally are embracing that and recognizing that. And the, and the answer to that is not to fight for our political power back. It is to take that place and flourish as a creative minority with Jesus. It's interesting. I am not, um, I'm not hopeful of the, for the, the big group, right? For, for the, the two parties the for the game. Yeah. I'm not hopeful for the game. You don't see a way that it turns around. No, no. I'm hopeful for the same things you said for believers. And I think we're heading towards a, a reality where it, it, you there's more skin in the game for believers and they take it by and large a lot more seriously. Uh, I think a lot of that is in part shedding the uh, nasty, crusty Christian nationalism that a lot of us have had, Mm -hmm. you know? So I think the hope for me, and this is, you know, kind of my fatalistic or anti um, establishment tendencies. The hope for me is that people quit playing that game. Not that they don't vote or not that they don't, you know, do whatever, but that they uh, retract, especially as far as they see, as far as they identify, they retract their identity from that. And we see in a lot of ways, like we imagine seeing um, a, a sort of exodus in a lot of in a lot of things, an exodus from the Republican, you know, the, the GOP, an exodus from the Democratic National Convention. And you have more uh, I mean, they have a word more moderates. Uh, but even then, I don't mean, again, I'm not specifically talking about parties. I just mean where your hope is, where your faith is. I do have hope in that happening, but I don't see the teams, you know, quote unquote, getting any healthier or better. So there are some people who believe our nation is headed for civil war, that the only way out of this is civil war, or the only way out of this is for us to get attacked on our land, which has not ever happened except for 9-11. We've the never, war of 1812. Yeah, we just haven't had war here, so... Um, some say it's going to be a civil war where this whole thing implodes, or it's going to be um, someone uh, attacking us and causing us to lock our arms back together and fight as a as one people. Do you have a you know again see discussion on the most radical off thing? Rarely is the one that actually happens. What would you? What do you think might happen? Uh, I have no clue. Yeah, I think we are approaching issues that are um 
it's hard to say bigger than a civil war, but I think we're going to, you know, with things like the, um, uh, metaverse, you know, deal singularity, things like that, I think are not bigger problems Uh, above all that. I see issues like, um, climate change, Mm -hmm. which would lead to, uh, restricted resources, which again could lead to some kind of war. When you look at people, you know, you imagine sending Gen Z now are about conscription age. You're gonna have you're gonna see Gen Z fighting each other in America in a civil war. They don't care about anything. They care about things less than millennials do. They're not gonna go all of them, John. Yes, every I know every single one of them. You're right. I just did it. You did do it. Um, so I, I can't really see that. Um, when it comes to nation versus nation, it makes more sense because then you don't really have a. There's a lot more structure there. Right. Um, but say you know your governor joins a coalition that is seceding from the country and there's going to be another another civil war, you're going to put on the governor's jacket and go fight for your state? Nobody cares anymore. No, there is a lot of political migration going on, and so states could be more calcified um, as either red or blue or clearly purple. Mm. Um, If you, you know, I've never watched the entire series, but Man in the High Castle, where you kind of have, um, it, it appears from what I have seen that there's, you know, uh, one country on one side of the Rockies, another country on the other side of the Rockies, and then there's the West Coast, which seems to be a little different. I think yeah, in the show, there's a, the neutral zone is the is the Rockies. Oh, okay. Uh, and the whole all west of that is the same, all east of that is the same. Okay, as, as the two different countries. So you you know you think of something like that. Of course, that's um, that's TV. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Yeah. You have a takeaway from this. We're not going to do our commercial or anything today. We're just going to wrap this up. Do you have any kind of uh, did I waste your time? No, you, you no. Have, you have, do you have a thought that emerges as the most dominant thought in response to this conversation? My thought is uh, my biggest pushback, which I didn't bring up at the time because it was we were we were going through the list. Yeah, uh, was on your one about uh, you maybe running for governor and bringing power back to the legislator. I've learned I learned a lot recently as most people who enter the workforce and get married and get houses. There's a lot of a lot of of rampant immediate growth as far as learning and things like that. Uh, and so, uh, and part through Lindsay being in the state and me reporting my big revelation, uh, culturally and socially, you know, I have a lot more big revelations. That I hold a lot more, uh, that I cherish a lot more mm-hmm. spiritually, but my big ones socially have been on the, I've talked about this before a lot, the greater change on local levels. Yeah, this is where you can make the most contribution or make the most, change the world the most, is change it at your very most local level. Yeah. And uh, state is, I think, what I was talking about at the time, but my from recording uh, reporting in the county, it gets even smaller than that. Yeah. I think, and so, you know, I learned through the legislature, I was uh, ranting with against uh, really two Lindsay. She, she's very gracious with me for mm-hmm. just sitting through it. I was ranting about the uh, emissions testing for the tabs for certain counties. <laughs> I am, I'll say, I'm an environmentalist. Right. I I very much care, and I very much think it's a, a huge problem. Uh, emissions test? An emission on, on the exhaust of 1991 Ford Pintos? That's what you're going to do to say that's when when you talk about the that is survival, hilarious. the political survivalism we see. Yeah. That's exactly what that is. Is a person going, well, I need to satisfy my constituency so they vote for me again. So here's an idea, an emissions test. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to try and tax GE or, or BP. Yeah. I'm going to do an emissions test. 
And that that will solve the. That no. is so funny that 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 rises to the surface of oh, something you're mad man. about. It makes it boils my blood because you know who the the reason because to me it's actually in effect the people who made this didn't think about it this way. But in my opinion, it is evil in that it affects only the people who can't afford to handle it. So a single I mom see. drives her beater to get a new tab, which she has to have to drive around. Right. She fails an emissions test. And what counties have that? I don't know. There was any Homish County, King County. Thurston does not. Thurston is one of the few in Western Washington that does not. So that's interesting. We lucked out. So yeah. that kind of stuff kills me. So, and that's a that was actually a legislator move. Legislators can. So that, that that feels like to you a tax on poor people. Yes, and that's when I, when we talk about the broken political system as far as surviving and using it as a as a business as a, as you know bread. Mm-hmm. That's the problem, but. The greater change you can do, in my opinion, is always smaller. So, again, reporting on our county, being in Tonino, even all the way down to just this neighborhood, that's why it's interesting that the Sorry. impulse uh, is always to go to go bigger. Right. If someone like me ran for governor, maybe I could help. And really, you couldn't, for one. Not just you. Nobody Because you couldn't could. get elected. <laughs> right. You could not get elected. Yeah. And even if you could, even if you did. You're right into the system that's that's broke and doing you know that limited set of things you're saying if i want to make the world better it's better to get involved in my local politics even i mean you know the oikos principle is not just it's in fact it's not all political the way we talk about it i think the greatest you know change you have is what you do in this neighborhood and then yeah maybe it's uh city council or county commissioner but school boards yeah anything north of county commissioner to me is like you're just uh you're just in the machine now. I mean, you're in the machine regardless. You can't really get out of it. But, but your effect diminishes. You're a small fish in a giant system. Whereas locally, you can be a bigger fish in a. This is yes. This is. I told the story of the guy at Home Depot who saved my oh, whole yeah, yeah, day. Yeah. That guy. It, it's it's a silly analogy, but that is what I'm. Ta- that's exactly what I'm talking about. Home Depot. Say that guy made it all the way to the tippy top. Home Depot CEO. CEO. How many days is he changing? Right. Compared to helping, you know, 100 customers a day at his local Home Depot. That's yeah. really what I'm talking about. Yeah, I, I can see that. And, and what comes to my mind is what I've said. Honestly, I've said this for 40 years. The greatest single thing a person can do for the world is be close to God, have an incredible marriage, and raise powerful, healthy, spiritually alive kids. Hmm. That's the greatest thing. It's the greatest thing you can ever do because of the oil cost principle and the waves of that for that group. So for me, that's seven of us. And if the seven of us are healthy and alive and vibrant and making the world a better place and loving God and loving and serving human beings with dignity, the ripples of that, the, the oil cost principle of that, that is massive. Yeah. And it never stops rippling because of all the oil costs connected to the oil cost thing. And would, would that be your takeaway? Or Yeah, and for those of you who, who are new and haven't heard the Oikos term, that's 8 to 15 people that really are on the front row watching your life. These are people, neighbors, coworkers, friends. They could be even enemies. But they're people who you have, you have significant influence with. They are in your life, and uh, they're in your reach. And we believe God supernaturally and strategically places them there. So uh, you have calmed me down, John, with that one principle because – Truly, that is the greatest thing you could do. Hmm. Um, Tony Evans, I love him, a, a pastor in Dallas. He says, uh, um, we live in a messed up world. And we live in a messed up world because we live in a messed up country. 
And we live in a messed up country because we live in a messed up state. And we live in a messed up state because we live in a messed up county. And we live in a messed up county because we live in a messed up city. And we live in a messed up city because we live in a messed up neighborhood. And I live in a messed up neighborhood because I live on a messed up street. And I live in a messed up street because I live in a messed up home. And if I want to change the world, I can make my home not messed up. And if I can get my home together, I can get my street together. If I can get my street together, I can get my neighborhood together. If I can get my neighborhood together, I can get my city together. And if I can get my city together, I can change the county. And if I can have a great county, I can change my state. And if I can have a great state, I can change the country. And I got to have a great country, I can change the world. Uh, I really think that's what you just said. And that's, yeah. that's really the truth. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, do you have, I know we didn't do our commercial, but do you have a, a media review or show and tell for us today? I do. And we'll make this pretty short. I, I've been watching the um, television series called The Chosen. And I'm new to this game. I watched the first episode a long time ago mm-hmm. and didn't have um, anybody wanting to watch it with me. So I didn't keep watching it. And recently I've started watching it again. And it is incredibly good. I find myself... Uh, crying a little bit, or I find myself just uh, spontaneously thanking God for who Jesus is, That's thanking awesome. God for how much he loves human beings and how much he loves uh, the world that he created. Um, it's really, really, really good. I, I, it's hard for me to recommend Christian media very often. Sure. This is outstanding. And there is also uh, the chosen Christmas special in movie theaters for a very limited time. And uh, I have not seen it yet, but I've been told it's phenomenal as well. And it's because the chosen is it's when Jesus 12. starts his ministry. Yeah. So then the the Christmas special is about the birth, or I, I would ima- I would assume so. Gotcha. And um, but man, they do an incredible job, and I just want to recommend it. Well, that's awesome. Yeah. All right. Uh, thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, if you want to get a hold of us, we would love to hear from you with any uh, feedback, episode ideas, whatever you got. You can do that via email at info at jimandjohn.com. No H in the John. Uh, at that website, jimandjohn.com, you'll find a, a contact slip if you'd like to you know, reach us that way. We have a blog there you can read. Uh, we have uh, some written resources that we've done over the years, and you can find those there. Uh, or at our Instagram, at jimandjohn, you can DM us there or comment on our weekly post, and we would absolutely love to hear from you. Thanks a bunch. Have a Merry Christmas. We thank God for you. Thank you.